Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. We're coming to you live on this Tuesday, November 21st, from our studios here at the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in Kirkwood in St. Louis County, Missouri. I'm the host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. And uh, today we're going to be looking uh, still at the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, still in Article 5, Love and the Fulfilling of the Law. We'll be actually uh, entering the conclusion of this lengthy article today. And we invite your participation in our program. We have a toll-free number all across North America, and that number is 800-730-2727. Again, 800-730-2727. Locally here in St. Louis, the area code is 314, and the number is 821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. 0850. You can also email us your comments or questions during the program. Our email address, kfuo at kfuo.org. We welcome into the studio today guests who have been with us before, uh, two pastors from this area. First of all, Pastor Matt Wood. He is the pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Maplewood, Missouri. Welcome, Matt. Great to be here today. Good. And, um, uh, can people find out more about Concordia Maplewood on the World Wide Web? Absolutely. It's concordiamaplewood.org, no spaces. And uh, you can log on there and find more about uh, one of our new programs, Mother's Day Out, that we started this summer. Do you have a Father's Day Out? No. no. Well, they're, they're, they're lumped in with the mothers. They can take a day out, too. <laughs> I mean, we, we just take the kids. So, <laughs> And uh, do you have a Thanksgiving service coming up this week? We do not have a Thanksgiving service. Okay. Um, we encourage our members and people in the Maplewood area to visit Timothy Lutheran Church on Ivanhoe and Filer in the city. And their Thanksgiving service is Wednesday night at 7. All right. Good to have you on the program again today, Matt. And then also in the studio is Pastor Paul Langraff, my old seminary classmate from the class of 1990 at Concordia St. Louis. And uh, welcome back to the program, Paul. Good to be here. Thank you. Good. And uh, you are the pastor of a dual parish, two congregations, St. John in Drake, Missouri, and Pilgrim Lutheran Church in Freedom, Missouri. Right, right. These are very small towns. So, But... Uh, but Jesus is there. Right, right. 
And we actually do have some websites. We've entered the 21st century. Oh, kicking and screaming. Go ahead. PilgrimLutheranFreedom.com is is one. And then St. John Lutheran-Drake is the other. All right. And are you having any Thanksgiving services at either or both? Yeah, it's it's the normal schedule. Like it would be a Sunday morning. Uh, 8.30 at the one at, at Drake and then 10.30 at the other. On the National Day of Thanksgiving yeah. itself, yeah. Thursday. And... Uh, Good to have you on the program. And we also at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre have a Thanksgiving service on Thanksgiving Day. Um, and that service will be at 9 a.m. It'll be a matin service at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri, on Thursday, the day of National Thanksgiving. If you want to find out more about St. Matthew's, go to our website, stmatthewbt.org. All right, gentlemen, we're in the Augsburg Confession, we're in the apolo- actually in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, the defense of the Augsburg Confession, uh, penned by Philip Melanchthon in the year 1531, about a year after the presentation of the Augsburg Confession in 1530. In the interim, the Roman Catholic theologians had uh, given a confutation of what the what would be called the Lutherans presented. And uh, a lot of it centered on the doctrine of justification, the role of love, and the fulfilling of the law. And in some editions of the Book of Concord, uh, the love and the fulfilling of the law is separated out as an Article 5, and others, I think it's uh, just a continuation of Article 4. And today we're coming to the conclusion of this lengthy article. And what we're going to do is what we always do is read a portion of the text and then ask our guests about it. All right, so we come to the conclusion now, and uh, uh, here's how it begins. We are not arguing about a small matter. We are not arguing with the adversaries about a small matter. We are not trying to make a fine distinction when we find fault with them for teaching that we merit eternal life by works, while faith that takes hold of Christ as mediator is left out. Paul Angraf, why is this not a small matter? <laughs> well, this is this is about the the main thing, isn't it? When we talk about the the Reformation, the the solas, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, uh, faith alone, grace alone, and when we when we omit those those big things, it's it makes a difference. Yeah, we call, I mean, this is really a flowing out of the article on justification, which we call the the central article of the Christian faith, the article on which the church stands or falls. So Melanchthon is really, it's kind of an understatement here when he says, we're not arguing about a small matter. Now, in this paragraph 257 here, Matt Wood, um, Melanchthon states the main point, the central point that he says is not a small matter. And what is that? Eternal life by works. That faith takes hold of Christ as mediator. Yeah, so um, who's teaching what here? Right, so the the reformers, Melanchthon, Luther, and uh, others, are teaching that faith grasps the promises uh, which are given by God completely freely, the promises of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Those are given by God freely, that is, by grace, and faith takes hold of them, faith empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, others, uh, which would later become Roman Catholics, uh, but you could maybe at this time call them the Catholic theologians, are 
when when they say that justification is a is a small matter or they might make that accusation what they mean is that the the doctrine of justification is just one doctrine among so many that that uh if we have a disagreement here it's not a big a big disagreement i mean you can't make that doc the doctrine of justification the center and that's what melanchthon is arguing that has to be the center i don't think i don't think he's saying that the adversaries make this a small matter he's saying the argument itself is not a small matter sure. mm-hmm. about whether we merit eternal life by works which is what the adversaries mm-hmm. were teaching and at the same so that's what they were teaching and what they leave and what they leave out is also what they don't so it's what they say and what they don't say mm-hmm. what were they leaving out faith faith in Jesus, his, his yeah. death, his resurrection. Yeah, faith that takes hold mm-hmm. of Christ as mediator is left out. So it's it's both what the adversaries were teaching that somehow you're meriting eternal life by your works, and then what they are not teaching, what they should be teaching, is that uh, faith takes hold of Christ as mediator. And they weren't saying much at all about that. Yeah, Christ as mediator. As mediator. Right. Right. That Christ is. I mean, Christ is judge, and he will return and judge. He is also mediator for us. He stands in front of God, the Father, and the judgment, and He, it, it, in the cross, he takes it all on himself. Okay. So they weren't saying much about that. Right. But what they were giving the impression, at least, if not outright saying in, at all times, is that you can merit eternal life. You can earn it. Mm-hmm. By works, and that's the, and Melanchthon is saying this argument is no small thing. This is really crucial, literally. All right, so then he he backs this up. I mean, he's been going on for pages and pages about that. Then in paragraph two fifty eight, he gives uh, some backup to what he just said. For there is not a syllable in the Scholastics about this faith that believes the Father is reconciled to us for Christ's sake. Everywhere they hold that we are accepted and righteous because of our works, completed either from reason or certainly worked out by the inclination of that love they speak about. <clears throat> Gentlemen, who are these scholastics, Paul? When he when he talks about the scholastics, what is who are they? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like some uh, 80s pop group like the Eurythmics. Here are the Scholastics. It's, it's where I get my daughter's books from. Oh, yeah, Scholastic books. I was just going to say Scholastic <laughs> Book Club. We can hear the word school in there. Sometimes they're referred to as the schoolmen. Right. It's, what, what is it's that It's basically the, the doctrinal, the systematic theologians of the Middle Ages. The later Middle Ages. Later, later Middle, Middle Ages, right. I was, I was looking at them uh, recently. I guess they were... In, in the 12th century, they were fighting for recognition, the 13th, mm-hmm. 14th. Uh, that's, there was the high point, and then by the 15th, they're in decline. And uh, so it really came and went pretty mm-hmm. quickly, but uh, with Luther, he was uh, uh, in the midst of that. So That's what the, the theologians of Luther's day had been taught. Right was the teaching of the scholastics. Matt Wood, you want to add anything about the scholastics here? Well, I think um, the, the main issue with the scholastics is that the, the teaching, the, the theology, the systematizing that they were doing never really hit. I mean, it was never 
for the people, the proclamation. Mm-hmm. And this is what, I mean, this is Article 5 in, in the Reader's Edition, which uh, the Apology of Article 5 in the Reader's Edition, Article 5 in the um, Augsburg Confession is all about how God gets the saving benefits to his people, how God makes Article 4, justification, happen, you know, in the pews, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and the scholastics, whatever you think of their theology, it just wasn't it was so heady and it never hit the people. It wasn't for the people. It wasn't for pr- the proclamation of the good news. Their, their main so error was that they were, that people would be accepted because of their works. And they kind of, uh, uh, encompass, they, they enclosed that teaching in philosophical categories, uh, uh from reason. Mm-hmm. And they talk about our inclination to love, I don't know if that's the word habitus, but this this uh, that we have an incl- that if we have an inclination to love, that uh, we can work out our salva- get get salvation by our works, and uh, that it uh, is completed either by reason or by our inclination to love. Anything either of you want to add on that? I think I think that they were heavily influenced by the uh, by the philosophers, Greek philosophers of old. And we're using philosophical categories to explain biblical theology. And I've told my Bible class at church, I said, that's kind of like putting a, a, a round peg in a square hole. That, uh, you know, we can use reason, the ministerial use of reason, to advantage. But when it takes uh, precedence over God's word, that's what we call the magisterial use of reason. And um, God's word and the teaching of the gospel in a way, transcends or goes beyond our reason. So uh, that that's the critique here mm-hmm. of uh, the scholastics. Right. And one way Lutheran theology gets through this, to um, skip ahead a little bit, I suppose, is when we talk about the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. and we say, how does the bread and the wine become body and blood? Yeah. Uh, the, the correct answer is, well, Jesus says so. That's how it happens. Yeah. Jesus says the so. The power of God's right. word. But explain it to me scientifically. Well, Jesus says so. Right? Is there anything in the gospel, in the saving truths mm-hmm. of the gospel, that our reason would not object to? How could God come in the flesh? Right. Mm-hmm. How could a man die on a cross and that be the payment for all the sins of the world? That I mean, that's beyond our reason. How could a man rise from the dead? I've never seen a man right. rise from the dead. Why did it have to happen? Yeah. Because God says so. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if we're going to judge all the saving truth of the gospel by man's limited reason, uh, we're kind of undercutting the whole thing. Well, so this was a problem with the scholastics. They let reason get too far into their theology. All right. So these are the scholastics, and their their main point that Melanchthon's been arguing against is that somehow by our works we we merit eternal life, or are accepted as righteous before God. And then in paragraph 259, he says, yet they have certain sayings, proverbs, as it were, of the old writers. They distort these in interpretation. Who might these old writers be that they're distorting, Paul? Well, wouldn't that be the scriptures? Well, the scriptures, but I'm thinking also be after the scriptures. Oh, early church fathers. Early yeah. church fathers, right? They're taking sayings of this church father or another one and distorting them 
even against the meaning of that church father to support to support their views. Paragraph 260. In the schools, that means in the teachings of the scholastics, in the schools it is boasted that good works please because of grace and that confidence must be put in God's grace. Here they understand grace as a habit by which we love God. Now, they're attributing things to grace. Um, Would the medieval Roman Catholics, and even Roman Catholics today, could they agree to say that we are saved by grace, Matt Wood? Oh, absolutely they would. How so? I think this was in the Joint Declaration on the Doctrine of... They say everything's from God's grace. How is that being used in a different way? Right, so in, in biblical theology, when God says something... Um, it happens. So uh, Christ dies, he rises, he says, uh, this happens for the forgiveness of sins, and he proclaims. So when, when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, it happens. When baptism buries you with Christ, it happens right there. And so the grace is outside of us, and God makes gives it to us, and he makes something happen Im- immediately. He pronounces a judgment, as it, as it were. Now... I'm not up on the Roman Catholic uh, lingo, uh, but it has always seemed to me that grace in the Catholic Church is much more of a uh, process. Yeah, and infused. We talk about gratia infusa rather than what is it, gratia, the imputed imputed grace. Yeah, Yeah, so so grace is something that uh, uh, God uses to... I don't know, light a fire under your behind and get you like going. Like a booster shot right. or something. And it gets you going on on your good work. So when God gives you grace, what he's doing is he's giving you grace to do good works. Not necessarily to save you, but the grace. So if you, how do we, how do we know we've received grace from God? Well, the Lutheran says, because God said so, right? God, mm-hmm. God said it. God God came to me and gave me righteousness and baptism. It's all right there in the scriptures. I am a child of God. Mm-hmm. Right? That's grace. Now, um, the Catholic uh, theologians, it's different. How do I know that I have received grace? Well, you look at your habits, your 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 love, your good works, and you measure This it. habit of love is like right. your kind of constant character right. of that's sort of in you. Right. By which you're loving God, and that will result in works that will save you. Paul, do you understand, how do you understand this about how they understood grace as a habit by which we love God? Well, many years ago, I was talking to a Roman Catholic priest, and he was he was very upfront saying that basically there's basically a little bit of good inside everybody, and you just fan the flame and, mm-hmm. and, and do a so, good job. So grace is God's another help. log on the fire? <laughs> you know, in Luther's uh, uh, debate in the Heidelberg Disputation, he takes to task the scholastic notion, uh, the saying that they loved, they, they used all the time, the scholastics was, God will not deny grace to those who do that which is within them. Or I'll put it in Latin, um, faciendi codense uh, est, Deus non denegat gratiam. To the one who does that which is within him, God will not deny grace. And this is what you're getting at, Paul, that we all have this little, that by our natural powers, 
we can love God, and therefore he's going to reward us with with uh, like a, a booster shot of grace so that we can do more good works, and maybe with a little help from uh, the saints and whatever, we and by our works we can maybe get saved right, right. in the end if we p- work off our remaining problems in purgatory or something. Well, it's... It- goes back to the starting point what, what do you what do you consider the the image of god How, did we lose it or we, we just had a couple steps back and we have to try harder um it's all it all works together it all fits together and you really do have to ab- abandon a lot of the scriptures uh to make this system hold up do you know what i mean so so then all of a sudden the question arises what about all those people without jesus who do good works mm-hmm Right. Well, what then, about all those people without Jesus who are doing within them? And then you have that, anonymous Christians. anonymous Christians, Karl Rahner. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's like Frankie the hippie pope uh, <laughs> talks like that too, doesn't he? Uh, that and that's not incons. Is the Pope Catholic? Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when he says right. things like that. Um, yeah. Let's go on. Um, in paragraph two sixty further, it is as though the ancients meant. Uh, Taking the argument of the of the scholastics, it is as though the ancients meant that we should trust in our love, even though from experience we know how small and how impure it is. It is strange how they ask us to trust in love, since they teach us that we are not able to know whether it is present. Why do they not present the grace, the mercy of God toward us? While they are at it, they should add faith. For the promise of God's mercy, reconciliation, and love toward us is not grasped unless by faith. With this view, they would rightly say that we should trust in grace, that good works please because of grace, when faith takes hold of grace. Now, here Melanchthon is using several big terms, grace, love, good works, and faith. And how we put those things how we understand each of those terms and how we put them in the right order is kind of the key here. So, Paul Landgraf, um, uh, what about this matter of grace and love? How are they to be understood in connection to faith? Well, the, put it in terms of the cart and the horse. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the grace is at the foundation God's of God's grace. grace. And as the the text says, apprehend it by faith. You you are taking hold of it, uh, mm-hmm. receiving that gift, and that that faith is a, a living and active thing. I was just uh, hearing the the preface of Ro- uh, Romans mm-hmm. for for Luther, and he talks about faith is a living, active yeah. thing. It, uh, so it, if it is a true faith, it will produce. The love and the, the love good and works. the good works, but yeah. when we put the love and the good works first, we got the we got the what the horse and the cart in front of the horse. Right. Yeah, it's now L- Luther uh, accuses the Catholic Church all the time, and they never they're never talking about faith. Like the they, the 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 Roman Catholic Church at at Luther's time is just faith is 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 just not part of the discussion, and so mm-hmm. and so you have. Uh, it's not important whether or not you believe as long as you're doing the works, you know, like 
the Lord's Supper. This the is sacraments the sacraments there. Right. This mm-hmm. is the ex opera operata, and the and yeah. just simply in performing by the work it. being right. performed itself. Right. And then this is the where you get again putting the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. So then, just by doing the work, you you merit the grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, if faith leaves the discussion, this whole thing falls apart. Let me finish one more paragraph before we go to break. Paragraph two sixty one. In the schools, it is bragged that our good works work by virtue of Christ's passion. Well said. But why add nothing about faith? For Christ is an atoning sacrifice, as Paul says, by faith, Romans 3.25. When fearful consciences are comforted by faith and are convinced that our sins have been blotted out by Christ's death and that God has been reconciled to us because of Christ's suffering, then, indeed, Christ's suffering profits us. If the teaching about faith is left out, saying that works are useful by virtue of Christ's passion is of no use at all. And uh, here I think, uh, how is faith is to be understood in this paragraph, and what does it have to do with Christ? Either one of you. Well, the, the, when he says, by faith... It's it's taking hold of that. It's, you 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 talk about the fearful consciences and and you're comforted. You, it's like you're you're drowning and you hold on to something that's going to keep you from from going down. So even faith is not a meritorious work that you do. It's taking hold of Christ's meritorious work of of dying for your sins. Right. Yeah. All right. We'll be coming back to this after our break. You're listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO. Concord Matters is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere, since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. Worldwide KFUO salutes our day sponsors on this Tuesday, November 21st, 2017. Today's day sponsors are James and Marge Veland. Today's day sponsors have made a contribution to Worldwide KFUO in honor and thanksgiving to the Lord for their wedding anniversary. Once again, we say thank you to James and Marge Veland of St. Charles, Missouri. Today's Worldwide KFUO Day sponsors. Hi, I'm Andy Bates, and I invite you to join me at 10 a.m. each weekday as we explore the stories of experts and everyday people in their given vocations. Faith and Family weekdays at 10 a.m. on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. 
KFUO embracing today's technologies to bring the good news message of Christ to the world. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth or sync up to listen in your car while driving anywhere. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org. On the air, online, and on demand, the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. The Battle Hymn of the Republic is perhaps one of the most stirring patriotic songs ever written, closely identified with the Union cause in the Civil War. In November 1861, Julia Ward Howe was touring Union Army camps with her husband, a medical doctor, along with a minister friend of theirs. Some soldiers were singing popular war songs, and Reverend Clark suggested to Mrs. Howe that she might write new lyrics to one of the songs, resulting in the lyrics of the now-famous Battle Hymn of the Republic. The Julia Ward Howe lyrics draw extensively from biblical imagery, including Isaiah 27.1. In that day, the Lord will take this terrible swift sword and punish Leviathan. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. here on Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Charles Henriksen. Our guests today are Paul Langraff and Matt Wood. We're discussing the conclusion of Article 5 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Love and the Fulfilling of the Law. Again, we invite your participation in the program. Toll-free number 800-730-2727. Locally in St. Louis, 314-821-0850 and our email address, kfuo at kfuo.org. We're picking it up at paragraph 262, and we've been talking about uh, Melanchthon sort of wrapping up this section and uh, showing uh, how the teaching of the scholastic, the medieval Roman Catholic theologians, um, uh, is teaching wrongly that we somehow merit eternal life by our works, and in the process they leave out faith in Christ as the mediator, as the atoning sacrifice. So he continues in this vein, paragraph 262. They, the scholastics, they corrupt very many other passages in the schools because they do not teach the righteousness of faith and because they understand faith as merely a knowledge of the history or of dogmas. They do not understand faith to be a virtue which takes hold of the promise of grace and of righteousness and which enlivens hearts in the terrors of sin and death. Paul Langraff, what is a wrong understanding of faith here in, that is mentioned in this paragraph? Well, they they bring this out, and I think they've brought out many, many other times that instead of it being just a a knowledge of the history of it, that oh yeah it happened or this is the the teaching oh this is what you have to learn and that both of those things uh, can put the person on a power trip 
where if if it's a knowledge then you got it and and you you got the power and then just work on that but it's it's grace is receiving a gift so it's not it's not really you taking hold of the gift it's more like what is called intellectual assent to well you know and saint james says you believe there is one God? Good. The demons also believe right. and, and tremble That's with fear. Yeah. I teach my catechumens, maybe you guys do this too, when I talk about what faith is and what it isn't. I put a chair in the middle of the room, and I say, I stand at a distance from the chair, and I point it and I said, you know, I believe that is a chair. I really do think that is a chair. And I say, why is that not what we're saying when we say I believe? Why is that not faith? What would need to happen to make it faith? true faith. And they tell me eventually, well, you would go and sit in the chair and entrust yourself to it. And that is really what what Melanchthon is getting at. It's not just saying, you know, like pointing at the chair and say, I think that really is a chair. Mm -hmm. I really do. But instead, faith is putting yourself in the chair uh, by God drawing you there so that you're you're trusting in it. Right. And that faith isn't what keeps you from, it's not what keeps your bottom from hitting the floor. It's that there's something it's that there. The chair is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That this is a reliable chair, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that Christ uh, is the object of our faith, and our faith has value by virtue of its object, namely Jesus Christ. Good. Paragraph 263. When Paul says, With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is, and is saved, Romans 10, verse 10. We think that the adversaries admit that confession justifies or saves not by the outward act, but only because of the faith of the heart. Paul says that confession saves in order to show what sort of faith receives eternal life, namely that which is firm and active. And so there's a kind of a parallel statement here that Paul makes, you know, with the heart one believes and is justified, and then he expands on that, like the Psalms do with a line A and a line B, mm-hmm. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. I remember watching uh, the the Pentecostal TV programs back in the day, and they say, "Well, now you've you've believed in your heart, but now you need to confess with your mouth." And they're sort of setting one against the other. And right. what they mean is, call our line and say you prayed with Jim or Pat or whoever, uh, and at the na- next time you call, it'll be with a donation. Uh, so. Uh, what is he? What is Paul getting at here? With about uh, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What is the true understanding of that verse? Either one of you. Well, I think it's like you're saying with the chair. Uh, it's about sitting in the chair at some point, and so that so with with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I don't think Paul literally means that. Like you have like by confessing. Like somehow that saves you. Which but is, if this you is the believe, out, you will right, confess. It's the outpouring of the faith in your heart. The mouth, con- right. the mouth confesses. The mouth speaks with the heart. Right, and and that goes believes. for a public confession, and then also everything else that comes with the life. of Jesus a said, "If you confess right. me before men, I will confess you right. before my Father mm-hmm. in heaven." So faith naturally mm-hmm. wants to speak forth. What, what the heart believes. And such a confession is impossible without faith. Yeah, no one can say Jesus right. is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, right. St. Paul says in Corinthians. Good. Uh, paragraph 264. Uh, that faith, however, does not present itself in confession. I'm sorry. That faith, however, that does not present itself in confession 
is not firm. So other good works please because of faith, just as the prayers of the church ask that all things may be accepted for Christ's sake. They likewise ask all things for Christ's sake. Uh, For it is clear that this clause is always added at the close of prayers through Christ our Lord. Uh, Paul Langraff, do you close prayers like that? Well, the the shortened form, yeah, uh, who lives and reigns, obviously the full termination. That, that, but we uh, do that to this day, don't we? Through right. Jesus Christ, our Lord, right. Amen. Amen. Or through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with. Why do we do that, Paul? Well, it's it's a good reminder of the the center. I mean, it's not just there's. It's not just thirty-nine articles, and you have to you you know go through each one. It's 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 a center. It's it's there's a there's a center, and then the the doctrines come away from that. What is that saying about everything we pray for? Then Matt Wood. Well, it's all mediated by Christ, right? I mean, yeah. uh, Jesus Christ is our access to the Father's ear in prayer to like, the throne of grace. Right. Without Jesus. Prayer does the prayer does not reach God's ear apart from Christ. You, it doesn't happen. So we pray to the Father right. through, through Christ, Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. Right. So uh, this is saying with our prayers as with our good works that they gain acceptance before God through Christ right. alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the only way our good works are accepted as good works is through Christ, who we take hold of by faith, and that our our prayers likewise. Come to God the Father through the merits of Christ, for Christ's sake. All right, paragraph 265. So we conclude that we are justified before God, are reconciled to God, and reborn through faith. I want to pause right after that sentence. Look at these three big terms he's using here, justified, reconciled, and reborn, that all these happen through faith. I remember a class I took at seminary, Justification by Faith, and uh, uh, Jack Preuss was the teacher of that. And uh, actually, I was his research assistant on his book called Just Words. And this reminds me of that because here are three different words, justified, reconciled, and reborn. Each one has its own special nuance. We can use these terms interchangeably, but this gets to the richness of the biblical vocabulary. Uh, Paul, you're nodding your head, yes. Right. Because what, what does each one of these terms uh, bring out? I mean, we can use them interchangeably, but they each have their own reason for being in the Bible. Right. The I, I like to think of it as the the justification is the the judgment, the courtroom scene. Right. Right. And and then. You after that your your whole life has changed. Your things are different. When, when reconciled, you're like a, a b- bad relationship. You're reconciled to that person. Brought back. And that's a, a wonderful thing. And then the whole idea of being reborn, regenerated. Uh, when something is dead and now it's alive again. That's yeah. those are great pictures. All flesh gives them. birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit, and then through. Water and the Word, we are reborn, regenerated. So each of these are getting at how we are right with God, but each of them has their own distinctive nuance and are used that way uh, in the Scriptures. Anything you want to add on that, Matt? Well, I would just say that you you talked about the courtroom scene for being justified, and I think we have uh, the prodigal son scene for reconciliation. It's very relational. Yes, Um, yes. 
and then reborn uh, the resurrection scene almost. Yeah, from yeah. death to mm-hmm. life. Very good, very good. And to be a child of God then, mm-hmm. right. All right, continuing on in this paragraph 265. In repentance, this faith lays hold of the promise of grace and truly enlivens the terrified mind. It is convinced that, for Christ's sake, God is reconciled and favorable toward us. Through this faith, 1 Peter 1 verse 5 says, uh, we are being guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed. Uh, And I'll go on a little bit farther here. Um, The knowledge of this faith is necessary to Christians, brings the most abundant comfort in all troubles, and shows us Christ's office. So how does this faith comfort terrified minds? Why does it comfort terrified minds to teach faith in this way, Paul Langraff? Well, I think uh, you can pass over it really quickly, but uh, the the start of that long sentence where you start, in repentance, Mm -hmm. and what kind of repentance is it? Is, Is it a repentance that that uh, a change of life, uh, Martin Luther, his first thesis, of course, uh, entire life of one of repentance. And uh, the repentance that, that says, I'm, I'm not me-centered anymore, that's, that's a, that's a so, wrong so road. So repentance starts with you having a terrified mind when you realize what? Right, you're, you're going in a bad direction. You are, you are by nature, what do we say, by nature sinful and unclean. We need, we need help. So repentance in the broad sense is this sorrow over sin, this contrition, uh, this, this hopelessness, really, that we're killed by the law. But then it's in the broader sense is turning, turning towards, to Christ right, for right. our refuge. The, the broad encompasses the law and the gospel there. Right. And this is the only thing that is going to give comfort to a terrified mind and uh, shows us Christ's office. We've said over and over again throughout this apology, Melanchthon is always like a twofold refrain saying about this teaching that we have, that this is the only thing that gives true comfort to terrified consciences, and it's the only thing that gives all glory to Christ as our Savior. And so this is like a light motif uh, uh, throughout the apology here, and rightly so. So let's get on to Christ's office here um, in paragraph 266. Those who deny that people are justified through faith and that Christ is mediator and the atoning sacrifice deny the promise of grace and the gospel. When it comes to justification, they teach only the doctrine either of reason or the law. Uh, Matt Wood, what are these two terms here that the office of Christ as mediator and the atoning sacrifice. You started to talk about mediator before. Right. So so Christ is our mediator. He's he's the one who who goes to to God the Father and he is speaking on our behalf so that when God the Father looks at us, he's always uh, in a way looking at us through Jesus. Right, and so, so he, so those who are who are with Jesus, behind Jesus, holding on to Jesus, God can't, God the Father can't see us apart from also seeing His Son. That's pretty so good he, news, right? That's great. <laughs> I mean, and, that's wonderful. And I don't, the uh, the the atoning sacrifice is is different. This is how this is Christ by His own death and burial 
satisfied uh, God's demand uh, for justice, God's demand for punishment by he himself dying. So he took away uh, the guilt. He took the punishment. Right, and the punishment, the eternal punishment uh, of of sin away. And and so they're, they're, like we were talking about before, with two different, you know, just words being there's the... There's so much going on here, and it's so beautiful um, to, uh, to to just rely on some small little saying. Is um, it, it, it's so rich? Christ, yeah. free, he is the atoning sacrifice, and then he rises and ascends into heaven so that he can continue doing his work. The sacrifice is done, but now he's our high he's, priest. Now he's our high priest, mediator, and our mediator. Right? Yeah. So this atoning mm-hmm. sacrifice recalls. Uh, the Day of Atonement mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. St. Paul uses this term, hilasterion, in the Greek, in Romans chapter 3, where God presented him, put him forth as the hilasterion, the atoning sacrifice. Um, and then in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, it was the kippureth, the uh, mercy seat, by which the high priest entered and sprinkled the blood as sort of an all-availing, all-encompassing sacrifice for the sins. And this is what Jesus has done uh, he is the atoning sacrifice. All right. Paragraph 267. We have shown how this came to be so far as can be done here. We have also explained the objections of the adversaries. Good people will easily judge these things if they will think in this way whenever a passage about love or works is quoted. It is certain that the law cannot be kept without Christ and that we cannot be justified from the law, but from the gospel, that is, from the grace promised in Christ. Here he's getting at the proper distinction of law and gospel. And as I look at our, out our studio window here, I see looking over our shoulder, literally, Dr. C.F.W. Walther, who is our most famous uh, uh, lecturer on the proper distinction of law and gospel. Uh, but we see here... Walther didn't invent this. Luther didn't invent it. Melanchthon didn't invent it. It goes back, we see it especially here in Romans and Galatians, this distinction between uh, law and gospel. Um, uh, Pastor Landgraf, anything you want to add on that? Well, I think the just the, the whole Testament is a wonderful story. It's not like they got to, got to heaven by keeping the law in the Old yeah. Testament, but... But that sin really, really, things really fell apart really That's why they needed the atoning sacrifices, right. which have virtue by looking ahead and uh, uh, to the final and the fulfillment. They were looking ahead to Christ. Abraham and Moses were Christians and David and so forth. Anything else on that, Pastor Wood, on the proper distinction of law and gospel? It's important. <laughs> and it's proper. It's and proper. it's necessary. <laughs> All right. Um Paragraph 268, and here I got a big laugh when I read this. We hope that this discussion, although brief, brief, will be helpful to good people for strengthening faith and teaching and comforting the conscience. For we know that what we have said is in harmony with the prophetic and apostolic scriptures, with the Holy Fathers, Ambrose, Augustine, and Uh, very many others, and with Christ's whole church, which certainly confesses that Christ is the atoning sacrifice and justifier. 
Uh, you all, you guys also laughed when uh, Melanchthon here has this little phrase, although brief. And I look back in this edition, in the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, and if you count Articles 4 and 5 together, which you can, it's 58, 58 pages. Double column. Yeah. I mean, so this is not brief. But then what German theologian ever says anything brief? I don't know. Well, Luther does a pretty good job in the small catechism of that. Right. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, but then he had to write a large catechism yeah, right away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's too German. But uh, so, and, and really when you, when you read Articles 4 and 5, I tell people the Book of Concord is like one big great, one great big Bible study. Because uh, Melanchthon takes on all the passages that the adversaries use, and then he also takes on passages they don't use that don't support their argument. So he's really mining the depths of the scriptures. He knows his church fathers. He knows we aren't saying anything new here. Uh, Paul, what about this? Uh, what about Melanchthon's uh, methodology in this article and his sources? What is the methodology he uses? Well, to to stick to the the issue, what were they what were they saying, and then going to scripture, going to the to the fathers, that it's not just we're we're saying something different, but we're we're basing it on scripture. We're we're basing it on even the fathers. Yeah, and he quotes the fathers not because the fathers are always right, mm -hmm. but to show that we're not saying anything brand new here. Mm -hmm. right. We're really how are we Lutherans Catholic? Matt Wood. Well, because we're under Jesus, <laughs> right? Who is the the creator and the ruler of all things. So uh, Catholic just means uh, universal, not mm -hmm. universalist or, or universalism. Mm -hmm. But you ha if, if you're under Jesus and holding on to Christ and receiving his gifts and his promises, you're Catholic. What about this... That, that the Lutheran Church is, is teaching the Catholic faith, Landgraf. Well, I I grew up hearing it, small c. And oh, then, yeah. And then mm -hmm. that, that, you can't tell that, but it's, it's a Catholic where it's, it's, it's really, this is for everybody. Why wouldn't anybody not, uh, right. not benefit from this? And this is part of the, the, the universal church that transcends uh, all denominational lines. And so what uh, Melanchthon is saying yeah. is, we aren't, we aren't coming up with anything strange right. or new here. We're teaching what the church right. in its right mind has, has always, always said. Taught. Right. Yeah, so he's tracing a line all the way back. Yeah. yeah. So don't accuse us of being mm -hmm. some newfangled sect that is making things up. All right. We got time. We're going to get, I wanted to get at least through 268 today. We may have time to get another paragraph or two in here. All right. Paragraph 269. Nor do we immediately conclude that the Roman Church agrees with everything that the Pope or cardinals or bishops or some of the theologians or monks approve. So he's saying not everybody in the Roman Church is holding the wrong opinion. Some of them are still teaching the right stuff. Um, for it is clear that most pontiffs, those are the popes, consider their own authority of greater concern than Christ's gospel. Oh, that's a slam on the popes there. It has been determined that most of them are openly mere searchers for pleasure. I was reading today about Pope Leo X, you know, who is Martin Luther's uh, uh, nemesis, and that uh, he was from the Medici family, and, uh, you know, he wasn't really much of a churchman or a theologian, mm -hmm. 
and there were some scandalous popes throughout history. And he's saying their real concern is what? For most of the popes up to that time, he says your real their real concern was what? Well, the, the, the searchers for pleasure. Is well, and, and prior to that, their own authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're looking as they're, the source here is their own authority rather than Christ's gospel. Right. And it's a dangerous thing to put your uh, faith in the institution, which is really what the Roman Catholic Church calls for with mm-hmm. with uh, the the Pope and the bishops and the cardinals and the whole hierarchy all the way all the way down the line, to put your faith in the institution is a dangerous thing because the institution will always fail. It's perishable. It's of this world, and it has time and time again. Sometimes they would say right things. Sometimes even the popes today say right things. Right. But when they're capable of error. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and on this doctrine, they were uh, saying, you got to believe what I'm telling you because I'm the pope. Right. And uh, that's, not, that's, not a, that's like thin ice, I would say. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, going on. Clearly theologians, the Roman Catholic theologians, clearly theologians have mingled more of philosophy with Christian doctrine than was necessary. That's what I alluded to earlier with these scholastics. Uh, They're kind of uh, forcing biblical theology into uh, philosophical categories, and it doesn't always work. And they're letting their reason... um, sit in judgment over God's word of what makes sense to our reason. Going on 270, their influence should not appear so great that it will be unlawful to to disagree with their arguments because at the same time, many clear errors are found among them. One of these maintains that from purely natural powers, we are able to love God above all things. And that's what I was talking about earlier. We were talking about earlier that uh, we have this little spark within us that we can love God. So if we do that, which is within us, God will not deny us uh, grace so that we can earn salvation by our works, maybe. Which is clearly untrue. I mean, that's just flat out said in the scriptures when Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This preaching, though it is clearly false, has produced many other errors. Uh, For the scriptures, the holy fathers, and the judgments of all the godly everywhere respond. Um, Therefore, popes or some theologians and monks in the church have taught us to seek the forgiveness of sins, grace, and righteousness through our own works, and to invent new forms of worship which have clouded over Christ's office and have made out of Christ not the atoning sacrifice and justifier, but Mm -hmm. only uh, a legislature, legislator. Yet the knowledge of Christ has always remained with some godly persons. So this true gospel has never been lost. He's saying here in this. Well, it can't be. Christ, it can't be. God prom- Jesus promises right. that it will always be found on earth. Yeah, and even uh, if God's commandments aren't enough, then they invent other mm-hmm. new forms of worship, like fast prescribed fasting days and other things by which they think they can earn uh, salvation. But this is nothing new. Uh, we got another minute here. Um, we got a minute? 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Okay, we're going to sign off for today and let the boys next week wrap this up. You've been listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO, and I think next week they may actually finish this article. Tune in and find That'd out. That would be great. All right, you've been listening to Concord Matters here on the Messenger of Good News, KFUO. KFUO.